Hey everyone, welcome back to Creative Consumption. I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, host of the show. Thank you guys for coming back to listen to this episode. Um, if it is your first episode, thank you guys for checking out the show. And if you're coming back after last week with Mason, um, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. I know I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, if you did like that show or you like this current episode, we would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can always send your feedback to feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com or you can visit our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com, where you can also drop us a line. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, that's at Creative Consumption Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. Or you could follow us on Twitter, which is underscore create consume. One thing I'm going to plug again uh, is Creative Cat Wednesdays or Creative Pet Wednesdays. However you want to take it, uh, any and all pets are welcome. And we would just love for you guys to, if you have some pets that you've been spending some quality time with recently... Send us some photos, and we would love to feature them in our Wednesday posts when we put up some, uh, some, some fun little photos for people to see. All right, so for today's interview, I'm very honored and excited to be talking with Lindsay Hackney. So Lindsay, she's worn a lot of hats in her career. Her earliest work was as an actress and performer. Uh, you could have seen Lindsay around the country in the national tours of The Drowsy Chaperone and The Great American Trailer Park Musical, and also in productions at notable regional houses like the Agunquit Playhouse in Maine. In addition to her performing credits, Lindsay has also directed a few theatrical productions, um, some of which I was lucky enough to be involved in. And now Lindsay's current title is as founder and operator of Lindsay Hackney Photography, which is her wedding photography business based out of New England, which she runs along with her husband and uh, what she calls her second shooter, Tim. Her photography work, it really is beautiful and it's flourished. And Lindsay's been published in places like uh, Green Wedding Shoes, Style Me Pretty, Hundred Layer Cake, The Knot and Brides, to just name a few. Um, I, I had a great time talking with Lindsay. She was game to talk about all all aspects of her work, from from the actual shoots themselves to the editing, maybe the, the upsides of having that time to look at the photos and sometimes the monotony of it, um, and how all of, all of that has now changed with the recent pandemic. And I also loved hearing how she fits in other content that she just enjoys with that work. Uh, her thoughts about horror movies in particular are really fun. It was a blast to talk with her, and I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Daniel. It's my absolute pleasure. So happy to be here. I'm very, very happy you're here. Um, one of the first things I love to start with is, like we said, you've worn many hats. You've, you have all these different aspects to yourself. If I were meeting you for the first time today and asked, what do you do? What would your response be? That's a great question. You know, it's so funny. I haven't heard someone talk about my theater accomplishments in quite some time. So it was sort of um, sort of wild to hear you introduce me that way because it's been a few years since I've really been in the theater world. Um, so at this point, I would I am a full time wedding photographer. So that's how I would introduce myself. Um, I still love theater and the performing arts, but it has not been a major part of my professional life for about five years now. So um, yeah, we're full time into photography and it's it's been great. It's really led me down the path that I was hoping for it to um, when I got into it all those years ago. 
That's wonderful. I mean, that transition from the performing career uh, and performing kind of pursuits that you had into photography was that kind of as you started introducing yourself as a photographer instead of uh, an actress or a performing artist or however you would have introduced yourself before, how was that transition for you? How did you feel about that? At first, it was really difficult because I knew I knew when I was still in the performing arts, I knew that I wanted to transition out of it, um, mostly because I was living in New York City at the time, and I felt like I didn't want to live there forever. And I was struggling to think of a way where I could continue this career in the performing arts and have a family and do all of these other things that I wanted to do and still pursue, you know, life on Broadway, which I know many people do successfully, you know, they live outside the city, they have families, they do all these things. Um, but I just didn't see a way where I, I would be happy um, doing all of that at the same time. And so there was a period where I really struggled because I knew I didn't want to do what I was doing, but I didn't know what I did want to do. Um, and it wasn't until Tim and I got married and I met my wedding photographer that, you know, I had this kind of light bulb moment where it, it just made sense to me that I should do this, even though I had never picked up a camera before, it seemed to encompass all of the skills that I already had as a director and a performer. You have to, you know, interact with people and direct people. I'm still directing people every day. Um, and, you know, and I, I come from a very artistic family with like a visual arts background and, um, you know, we'll get into it later, but I always loved movies and, and photos. And so I just thought to myself, I think this is it. I think I can do it. And pretty much the way that I started my business and started my career as a photographer is like you said, I just started calling myself a photographer. Um, and I wanted to make that distinction really clear from the beginning because I knew, you know, people like you who I've known for a long time would look at what I was doing and be like, wait, hold on. What is she doing now? She's a photographer now. Like what? You know? So I tried to just declare it to the world before I even knew I could do it, that kind of like fake it till you make it. Or till you become it, which look at you, exhibit A. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So just from the beginning, I just said, this is what I'm, I'm working on now. This is what I'm doing. And that title, um, you know, luckily just kind of fit like a glove. And um, I've just been calling myself that ever since. Do you remember? I'm just curious. Do you remember the wedding photographer like the name of the person who kind of inspired you at the very beginning oh of course yeah we're still good friends and um she was really a mentor to me in getting started um her name's emily delamater um i highly recommend looking at her work i just found her to be so inspiring not just as an artist but as a a female creative business owner it kind of blew my mind to look at what she and a lot of my other wedding vendors were doing which is running their own creative businesses and doing it so successfully, you know, making a steady good income and being creative every day and making things every day. And I just, I, I don't think I really knew that that was possible before I met them. So yeah, she's, yeah, she's amazing. And, um, you know, absolutely inspired my work and, and how I'm living my life now as well. Well, that's awesome. Well, shout out to her. That's fantastic. And I like what you said also about making that your title, maybe even before you 
had developed all the skills needed for kind of running the business. I was having a conversation with some other people and, and they, we talked about how sometimes just the title you give yourself creates expectations of those people who you're talking to. And we were talking about it in sort of a sense of it can be a little bit stressful to say, I am X, right? Whether it's I'm an actor, I'm a photographer, because then that does set up a series of expectations from people. But I think that's, I really like how you flip it in a positive way, which is it creates expectations of yourself, not just of other people. It makes you think, well, if this is how I'm presenting myself to people, I am motivated to to do the work that it takes to deserve this title or to earn this title. So I think that's really cool. Exactly. And the other thing that I think it really helped me with was that mental block of, you know, not everything had to be perfect right from the beginning. I didn't have to come out of the gate and introduce myself as, hi, you know me as Lindsay, the actress and the, or the director, but now I'm this amazing photographer. It was sort of like, hi, I'm Lindsay, you know me as this, but, um, you know, I'm starting here. And I'm just going to, I just decided I would put all of my work out there, even as I was just learning and always share things. I started just a blog where I would share whatever I was shooting that day. I would just go out in the city and and, um, at sunrise and and walk around a neighborhood and just take street photos. And I would just share everything so that I I knew that people would see my progress. Um, And then that was a great way to just to get people's attention when I did start offering professional photography that they already knew where I had been and where I am now. And they had seen me make that progress. And I think that was an essential way um, to get my my actual business off the ground. Were there photo blogs that you were a big fan of when you were first starting? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I really set out to become not just a photographer, but a wedding photographer specifically. So I was looking at wedding blogs every day. And I had been doing that as a bride as I was planning my wedding, looking at, you know, some of the blogs you mentioned that I've been in, published in now, which is really cool. Um, but I was, you know, had my list, my blog roll of, you know, 10 wedding blogs that I would just look at every day while I was um, working at the time. And, um, and those images really informed my eventual photography style. And they still do. I still look through those same blogs every single morning when I'm eating breakfast, um, just to see where the trends are and, um, you know, kind of keep up with what's going on in the industry because it's changing every day and, you know, get inspired by some other photographers um, and now Instagram has become such a huge thing too. So that's where, you know, I'm just seeing so many images every single day. I want to come back to a lot of that, but there was something you said, Yeah. <laughs> but something you said really early on about kind of your draw to all sorts of different media, right? Whether it was pictures or movies or theater, obviously it's in some ways. So jumping back right to when you're growing up, what are the things that you're watching or reading or seeing that inspire you to kind of go into this creative path that you took? Yeah, so I was so lucky to grow up in a really creative family um, or in a family where creativity was encouraged and not just in one medium, but it was kind of like, try anything, you know, like my parents are both musicians, um, but they were so amazing at letting, I have an older brother and a younger sister 
And all three of us were always just encouraged to like try things. Um, and so we had so much, um, you know, art that we were always like, we were doing, we were playing music, we were taking lessons, we were creative writing, we were doing all kinds of different things. And each of us had sort of a different skill set that we were stronger in. But the one thing that really brought the three of us all together um, was movies and specifically horror movies. <laughs> no way. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. So all three of us siblings are like giant horror movie fans. And um, we would, you, you know, my favorite movies from since I was like six was Alien. Wait, you saw Alien when you were six? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And worse than that, too. And it's so funny now that I'm having um, my own baby for the first time this year. Um, I think about that a lot where, you know, people say, don't give your kids too much screen time, which I don't intend to do, but or don't show them this or don't show them that. But I think because my parents were pretty liberal with what we were allowed to watch, we all developed this this artistic language and this sort of passion for these stories really early on. And, um, and we still all share that to this day. My brother is now a filmmaker and my sister is a visual artist. And, you know, that, um, that those, those movies still inform all three of our creative work today. So I think what everyone should take away is for the shower present, you all send Lindsay Rob Zombie's greatest hits and then, (laughs) then she'll be all set. Um, no, so I mean, like you were saying, so your sister and your brother, uh, your sister is a visual artist, Steph, and she's incredibly talented. And your brother, Matt, is a filmmaker, also incredibly talented. What do you think you took away from those horror movies, from the other things you were watching that you saw performing, like you actually doing the thing that you were watching people doing? What What were you taking away that led you and inspired you into that path? Yeah, I I was totally that movie obsessed kid where I had like the the bookshelves like I mean just filled with DVDs like thousands and thousands of DVDs. I don't even know where I got the money to go buy them, but I think the love of horror movies started turning into just love of movies in general and um and I would just devour anything I got my hands on. I think I just I think I really wanted to be great at whatever I was going to do. I think I really wanted to be when I, when I wanted to be an actress, I wanted to be a great actress. And so I just wanted to consume as much of the great work that was out there as I possibly could. So I would be that kid that, you know, would make sure I saw every single movie that was nominated for an Oscar that year or or just really any movie I didn't have very high standards um but I just I think um I think I've always been a really good mimic and that's what has translated to a lot of my success in various fields I can kind of watch what someone's doing and say I can do that which is why I did that with my wedding photographers I looked at what she was doing and I think I said I can do that and so that's what I would do with these movies is just really watch and sort of pick apart you know what what makes this special what makes this interesting and then I I just kind of absorb all of that so I'm really like a quantity over quality person when it comes to my media consumption (laughs) you get inspired to 
to mimic things, right? And so to like become the things that you are watching or listening to and whether it's your performing or your photography, I've actually, I've talked with some people who I was talking with a friend who does, who was in a show where she was doing impressions and something that I, I'm interested in because I think all of us love to emulate the things we love, right? I know that for me, I had albums that I was obsessed with. And so I really wanted to sound like that artist. Um, and so I would like just listen and basically I would be singing the song, but I was kind of singing their version of the song. And the line between emulation and honoring somebody's work, I think, is similar. But one thing that I'd love to know is when you mimic something, something that you love and you really are inspired by, what's the point that you get to when you feel like it's yours and it's not just your version of somebody else's work? That's a really good question. And I think that's so difficult to ride that line. And it's a lot of the frustration that I have in my work sometimes is I really, you know, I really do set out to create my own work and have my own voice. Um, And, you know, same thing with you growing up singing it, you know, you learn to, to, you want to sound like these idols that you have. um, And you don't necessarily know all the time, at what point is this my voice or is it theirs? Um, but what I do now is I try to absorb the material or the inspiration and then just kind of let it go. And I I try not, I used to like, you know, look at inspiration images before I would go on a shoot and say, okay, I want to do a pose that looks like this. So I might copy this pose or I might, you know, I want colors that look like this. So I'm going to try to make it look like that. And what I learned about photography is that those things are impossible, you know, and especially in weddings, I get a lot of brides who um, they show me a photo and they're like, I want this photo. But what they don't know about that photo is that what makes it special is not just the pose. It's how the light is coming in from behind them, or it's the breeze blowing through the person's hair, or it's the way the fingers are touching. They don't, they don't realize that you can't actually 100% recreate that photo. Even if I tried, I couldn't do it. So instead, what I've tried to do is take those little pieces of the thing that I really love and say, oh, I love how their hands are connecting. I want to remember to just get people's hands connecting in photos, or I love this little detail that this person photographed. I'm going to try to just remember when I'm shooting that I want to get a little closer next time or you know, that that light is so spectacular. I'm going to look for light like that. So instead of directly copying, I just take the elements of, of what I see now and try to just infuse that into my work as it as it happens naturally. Is there something you would draw attention to, to people who are interested in, in hiring you or having your services that you would say, this makes a Lindsay Hackney photo shoot? Are there elements of your photos that you feel you can identify? Definitely. I think I I think that I am probably a large part of what makes working with me different from other people. I really try to take an intimate and quiet and calm approach to working with people because that's where the magic really comes out in the, the visual photo is how are you how are you interacting with your subject um, in order to create 
the product that you want in the photo. Um, so I think I think my work is very um, it's very intimate. It's really romantic. Um, like I said, kind of quiet and lush. I really like you know uh, lush greens and foresty backdrops and really nature based locations. Um, so that's that's how I tend to describe my work to people when they ask. That sounds beautiful. And I know we kind of, uh, before we started, we were talking a little bit about this, but obviously it's it's the big elephant in the room right now. In case people haven't heard, there is a global pandemic going on. <laughs> and yet, I mean, like we've been, I've been seeing online, you are still taking photos, you're still meeting with people. So how does your work look now compared to prior to the pandemic? Oh, it's, it's been so difficult. I I have to be just totally honest and say that I have so much internal conflict about this because it's funny when I got into weddings from selfishly it was sort of like well weddings are like the most reliable industry to be in like people will always get married they will always have weddings like I'm never going to run out of weddings to photograph. Um, so I'll always have income and then you get hit with something like a global, a global pandemic. You, you didn't see this coming? You... <laughs> did, not, did not see this coming. And, and weddings are one of the highest risk events that you could have at a time like this. So, you know, the beginning of the season was, was a struggle as we all just sort of figured out it hit right when weddings would have been starting back up again. And so a lot of our work just got completely wiped out at the beginning of the year. And as time has gone on, people have sort of figured out, well, you know what, maybe I don't have to have the wedding I was planning on having. Maybe I can just get a few people together and get, you know, elope somewhere beautiful. Or maybe I can get 10 of my loved ones together and have dinner. Um, and, you know, as, as time has gone on, those numbers are getting a little bit larger which is a whole other thing. But um, but in order to do what I do, I really just need two people who love each other to be there in front of my camera. Um, and like I mentioned, most of my work is based outdoors and it does take place in nature. So um, it's, it's complicated. I'm also pregnant right now. So I'm trying to figure out a way to safely work, um, which has been so difficult because it is our pride. We are full-time with weddings it's our only income and so there's that that struggle of well we have to work in order to support ourselves and our lives and our baby who's going to be born this fall and we also have to keep that baby safe and our you know keep our family safe so um you know there there are situations where it has felt safe to do so so yeah people are still they're still in love they're still getting married they're still finding ways to do it, which is, um, which can be really inspiring. And it's been, it's been really nice to get back to more intimate, meaningful ceremonies. Um, you know, not that there's anything wrong with a big wedding, but, um, you, you know, photographed hundreds of big weddings at this point and, and to be there for some of these more emotional moments has been really lovely, actually. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, kind of something you were saying before, right? Which is you've got this photography business being your your main vocation, right? Your job. It's the title you lead with. 
Um, and I think that one connection I would make in certain ways between photography and owning your own business in that sense and performing is that there's a lot of the burden of the work that falls upon you to do, right? Maybe even now more than ever, because you're not only taking the photos, but I would assume you also have to edit them. You have to be the one organizing and setting up this shoot, kind of bringing equipment with you. So, so much of that responsibility, kind of like how actors have to market themselves, but that falls to you. Um, And as somebody who is a self-professed lover of the visual and of arts and music, how then does this kind of running your own business and having this creative responsibility, how do you factor in the consumption of the things that you just like to enjoy? That is also a great question. And you really hit the nail on the head in terms of what my daily life looks like. Um, it, like you said, a lot of people, I think, think photographers just like go out and they take the pictures and then they, you know, go to the beach for the other <laughs> six days of the week. Oh man, but, well, you're, the way you're but, describing it, I'm going to become a photographer tomorrow. This is great. I know, right? Great job. Um, but it is a business. And so, and I am, you know, Tim does shoot with me, but I am the person who runs the business and uh, does all of the back end and the front end and everything in between. So, you know, most of my days, like you said, are at the computer. Um, in the early days of my business, I mean, it would be 14 hours a day at the computer, 16 hours a day at the computer, because, um, you know, editing something like a wedding where you take maybe 5,000 photos, 6,000 photos, and you're editing over a thousand of them that takes, that's like a full work week for most people, just that part. And you also have to, you know, uh, chat with clients on the phone. You have to book new work. You have to advertise, you have to do your taxes. You have to, um, you know, balance the books and send invoices and you have to do everything. So, um, I did kind of go from this life of, uh, it is, it is similar to being an actor, but I, you know, find from being an actor, you can sometimes leave some of that work behind throughout the day. Whereas um, when you have constant deadlines that you're trying to meet, you just have to keep working, 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 working. Um, and that does take away from my TV time. <laughs> so what sort of develops uh, is I often work with two screens so I have my computers my I've got two of them in front of me right now um where I've got my editing screen and then I have my entertainment screen okay and I pretty much throughout the day in order to be productive I kind of have to also be consuming some kind of entertainment at the same time oh okay um because it's so the, the work is just to be totally honest, extremely monotonous. You know, you're going through photo after photo after photo after photo, and you're trying to be artistic with each one. I'm not, you know, just flying through them. I'm really trying to pay individual attention to each photo, but that's a long time <laughs> to be sitting there doing that. So I've always got like a podcast going or a movie or, um, you know, these days during the summer, the thing that I watch pretty much the entire day along with my work is embarrassingly enough, the Big Brother live feeds. (laughs) (laughs) So because they just go all day and I go all day. So I have them with me. Um, But, you know, I'm trying now to stop working earlier in the day. And so Tim and I usually have a couple hours for dinner where we 
we sit down and we watch, we have a few shows that we like to watch together. So we'll watch those together. And then, you know, since I was little, like talking, going back to watching movies when I was little, um, I was a night owl. I would just stay up past everybody and put on movie. Everyone would go to bed and I'd go downstairs and I'd put on whatever movie I wanted to watch. And it's still kind of that way today. Yeah, exactly. Um, Or what, you know, whatever, like, hoity-toity thing I, I was into dvd i picked up that week um and it's still kind of that way today where like i i still try to give myself like an hour before i fall asleep at the end of the night to just try to watch something that is just for me that i'm interested in that i can really sit down and give my full attention to um a lot of times i fall asleep during it but <laughs> over the course of several nights i do end up um finishing whatever i was watching or reading and when you're working and watching something, have you found that there's either specific content that helps you work more more efficiently or just it's something that is easier to have in the background? And on the flip side, is there things that you found, oh, this I can't have on in the background or else I have a too difficult time splitting my attention? Yes. Um, the one thing I cannot watch while I work, which is really unfortunate, are foreign films. Um, because a lot of the great horror movies are foreign films or, you know, you, these days you've got all your streaming services and Shudder is the streaming service. Are you signed up for Shudder? I was going to ask. Of course. Yes, of course. Of course. And, um, you know, that sort of limits what I'm able to choose from Shudder and, um, it limits, you know, any of the great, like foreign crime dramas that come out on Netflix. Like, it's like, ah, I would really love to watch that while I work, but I just can't because I refuse to listen. I'm such a snob and I refuse to listen to the dubbed version of anything. And so since I can't read subtitles and also focus on my work at the same time, that kind of goes out the window. Um, but I mean, the biggest killer for productivity is the scrolling. So when you're like looking for something to watch and looking for something to watch and looking for something to watch that, I mean, you could lose a half your day just to that. So like I mentioned before, that's I think why the, the live feeds on big brother and, and um, you know, reality TV in general is something that has really come to the forefront of my, of my consumption at this time in my life, maybe just because the world is so crazy and my job is so crazy and I just don't want to have to think too much about what I'm watching. But um, the nice thing about the live feeds is I just turn them on and they're on and they're there. And it just, you know, I don't have to click around or choose anything. They're just happening in front of me and they keep me entertained. So that, I mean, that's the ideal situation, right? Is you just say, go, go entertainment. Yeah. And it works. It works out great. And we are in a time, right? The the ubiquity of media is undeniable. It's just there, right? Um, and it's very easy to just turn something on. Um, but what you said about recommendations—that's something that I think is is a struggle that we have, right? Obviously, most of the streaming services, most of just media content in general, tries to solve that with with algorithms or whatever. But where do you usually source recommendations so you can avoid the scrolling problem? That's a great question. I. I still have a, maybe I'm old, but I still have a blog role that I go to. There's a website called Blog Lovin'. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I just am signed up for all my favorite blogs on that website. And a lot of them are like movie blogs or entertainment blogs. 
that kind of thing where something pops up and it's like, oh, and you know, that, that I, that looks interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, let me go check that out. Um, so that, that's where I tend to streamline like all of my, my news and my entertain entertainment stuff. Um, you know, Reddit sometimes I will just go check out and see what people are saying, but it's funny because I think these days I'm actually less inclined to care about what other people say they're watching. Um, I, I really just more into like, I don't even want, want to watch trailers anymore. I don't, I don't want to know anything about what I'm going to watch because like you said, there's so much to choose from. And I, I find that I get more into it if I just kind of look at something, say, I'm going to watch this today and I just go for it. And I don't even, you know, I don't even read Rotten Tomatoes anymore. Um, I, I envy you. I have not reached that pinnacle of avoiding uh, crowdsourced data. Yeah. it. I mean, it's hard, right? Like it's impossible to avoid in a way. And I think, you know, how I told you, I used to be like, I used to read Entertainment Weekly every single week and be like, okay, these are the movies that they say that you need to watch. So you need to watch those. And I would watch every single one. And 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 now I just, I think maybe it's just that I'm of a certain age. I don't know. But um, I, I'm just starting to care less about what people say I should like. And um, I'm consuming a lot more of um, what I do find to just bring me a lot of joy because if we only have so much time to consume something, um, then I, I want it to just be the things that make me happy. Hey everyone, I'm just taking a quick break from the episode to mention our show notes. If you guys have the time to go ahead and take a look at the show notes for this episode, we have those anti-racist and equity resources available for people to take a look at to continue learning more. I know that it's, it is a continuum, right? It never really stops. So I hope that these can be as helpful as they have been for me for, uh, for ways to keep learning more and then from there take action. A new resource or actually a new recommendation you'll find in there this week is something that I had the chance to listen to a couple of weeks ago, which is the new podcast, Nice White Parents. If you guys haven't listened to this already, I highly recommend this. What this is, is a new podcast from Serial Productions, so same people who made Serial, uh, and it, it's reported by Hannah Jaffe-Walt, who's done a lot of things with This American Life and other really well-known radio and podcast productions. What it is, is it examines the history of equity and integration in the public education system through the lens of one specific New York City school. It's only five episodes. It's a binge worth taking the time for because the things it brings up, the topics of equity, inclusion, and really so much more, it it was a great learning experience for me. And I, I just think it's an incredibly well-produced piece of audio reporting. So yeah, that's my recommendation. Uh, and uh, back to Lindsay's interview. When you're done with your workday and you're, like you said, maybe that's ending a little earlier now, making that balance between work and life a little bit more, maybe bringing those scales back into balance. When you are watching something with Tim or it's that movie before bed, is there ever a part of your brain that is like the, the quote work brain, right? The photographer brain that 
turns on and is like, oh, that's a beautiful image or, oh, that's that's something that I, I think that looks really beautiful, right? That like it feels tied to work or are you are you do you feel pretty good at shutting that part of your brain off once you're done editing for the day or once you're done planning for the day for your photography shoots? I think I sometimes stumble into that. And that's always really exciting when that happens. I watched um, The Lighthouse a little while back. The one with Robert Pattinson? Yeah, it's all black and white. And just the first maybe five minutes of that movie are in complete silence. And they're just images in this black and white. And they're, and every single image is so striking that I didn't even make it Five, that five minutes into the movie before I was thinking, I need to like freeze frame each of these and look at this. I was trying to find screenshots online of like, oh, I have to show Tim these images. And so oftentimes with movies that will happen where I, I look at an image and go, oh my gosh, wow, I need to remember what's special about this or, um, you know, look up more of this uh, director of photography's work. Um, Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner was another one of those where I just was like bowled over by the images. I saw it in 3D uh, with like the motion and all the things, all the things, all the things. And I saw it by myself. I I, I really just go to the movies by myself because Tim doesn't like the movies that I like. And and wow, yeah, I just remember being so blown away. So when something really special comes along, um, absolutely, I do stop and take note of of that and and I think film is such a great inspiration for photography. I think, you know, photography styles are moving in this really cinematic direction these days and I am always trying to push my own work in more of that direction. So it's always so exciting when that that does happen. I think that's awesome. I know some people have this feeling that like they want to keep those two worlds separate, right? Where and I I think for everyone it's a continuum. There's no on and off switch, right? It kind of comes in when either when we least expect it or when it needs to come in, right? When you see a beautiful image. But I, I know I've talked to some people about how like theater, for instance, uh, it can be hard for people to watch because they can't stop thinking about th- what they could be doing on stage or like the the audition that they had either for that show or for a similar show, right? How kind of separating that work and the enjoyment is sometimes a burden in a way that's not as positive, but that's great that you were able to, that it feels inspiring to you every time and you can kind of think of it in a positive way that could further your work or let shows you a different style of work that you might want to emulate. Yeah. I, I think, I think what you said absolutely does apply to photography too. Like I definitely, you know, we, I mentioned Instagram before and yeah, I follow maybe ooh, like 800 wedding photographers on Instagram versus I don't even know but a lot there's a lot of wedding images that come through my feed every day and I find myself less and less engaged with those because I don't I don't want to get so caught up in those comparisons you know oh so and so that image is really amazing like how'd they do that or why am I not you know getting work like that or making work like that that can get so frustrating um, and just, you know, the, the, the rat race of all of that. I know you feel that with theater too. It's just, oh man, like this guy's just like me. I'm just as good as him. Like, why can't, why isn't my career like that? So I find myself being less and less drawn. When, whereas when I 
started in the industry, I was consuming as much of it as I possibly could. Now that I, you know, I've been doing this for for several years, I'm pushing more of that away and trying to bring in more, you know, film. And I love, um, you know, just visual artists right now. I'm really inspired by like the colors they use and, um, you know, painters and, you know, non-wedding photographers and, and movies, like I mentioned. Um, and then there's also definitely a part of me that just wants to watch really stupid stuff too and, and read stupid stuff and just kind of turn it all off too. You brought up social media, right? I mean, Instagram, Facebook, all of these platforms that um, hearing how people use those, but also just their relationship with them, I think is something that we are all constantly reckoning with, right? How much of it we're using for professional reasons, how much of it we're just like the the, in, the constant scroll, right? How much of it we're using for personal reasons. Um, so I think it's interesting you bring up that idea of competitive nature, like, oh, I have to be doing what they're doing or, oh, they're setting a standard. Let me adhere to that standard uh, and it being difficult to turn that off. Do you think since becoming a photographer, has that fundamentally changed how you are able to enjoy social media or the way in which you fit it into your life? Definitely. Yes. I think, I mean, social media itself has just changed so much since I became a photographer too. You know, that was about five years ago. So, you know, five years ago, it's hard to imagine, but Instagram was not, you know, people used it, but it is not what it is today. Um, And you know, there were no stories and there were no, like there, it was just so different. So the complicated thing about, about this is that I do have to use Instagram and other social media as a business tool. Um, And so the choices I make in regards to social media are really tied to the success of my business. Um, and that more than anything has changed how I use social media. I only very recently started using a like personal account again after a long time. Um, but you know, running Instagram is a visual social network. And so a lot of my business just comes directly from that posting photos on Instagram, interacting with people on Instagram, hashtagging things on Instagram. I don't really have to do a lot of advertising, traditional advertising, because so many people find me that way. Um, but yes, that absolutely does change how I used social media before. Um, you know, I'm posting, I'm posting less personal things. Um, it does feel a little bit more like an obligation to post. Um, and in terms of how I interact with people, other people on Instagram. Um, you know, I just, I do have to kind of keep up with a certain number of other vendors in the industry and other uh, accounts, just from a social perspective, it's, we all work in our little bubbles. It's funny because now everybody has been working from home and is experiencing this, this lifestyle. But when you're a self-employed creative person, it's just kind of you in your house working on your thing. And, um, you know, the social networks are how we make connections with each other and how we stay, you know, just in the loop of what's going on. So it's it's totally changed how I use it. And, and like I mentioned, I'm trying to, you know, not have it be um, I don't want it to feel like an obligation anymore. So I'm trying to just post when I want to post and scroll when I want to scroll 
And I, I'm trying not to um, put pressure on myself to keep up with it every second of the day. Sometimes I'll try to trace back, like, how did this all start, right? Like, where where did I, <laughs> why did I actually come here slash what was I looking to do? And it's really kind of mind-blowing to think that when I go to, I try to go with like a specific intent and then these are obviously very, very smart people who build these systems because <laughs> I somehow find this rabbit hole of time that just go, goes away. It's really scary when you get that alert on your phone every week that tells you how much time you spent on your phone. So you just have to turn those alerts off so you don't have to worry about the scary alerts. Yep. Because <laughs> then you think about, oh my gosh, and then I spent this many hours on my just my computer right. and then this many hours watching the television and it, uh, yeah, it could make your head spin. Absolutely. You were talking about the fact that you have all those hours. You also have to be doing your editing, right? You have like you have to be spending your time doing other things. Um, and I guess uh, as a, not a wrap up, but kind of we started at this point where you you found yourself so inspired at your wedding to start taking on something new. Photography seemed like it was that great outlet, and now you're at a point where you've really established yourself as a significant player in this field in wedding photography. And it, it strikes me that. A lot of times, and I've, I've talked about this mostly with people who are performers, but I, th- I wonder if it applies here, that we start something because we have a passion for it or we have something that really drives us, particularly when it comes to creative pursuits, um, but that when we reach this inflection point of it becoming a serious career and something that we're doing as our main uh, livelihood, our main vocation, that there's sometimes this sacrifice of passion because it's now something that we have to, we have this obligation to keep doing. And do does it ever feel like that your relationship with the actual creation that you do and that you've committed yourself to, is that harder now that you're kind of out of, I guess, the honeymoon phase of being early on very inspired? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, the sheer volume of work that I have to turn out every single year is it's insane. I mean, I think I have to do, I think I deliver. So let's say in a year I shoot 30 weddings, um, which is like average. Sometimes it's a lot more than that. Sometimes it's less. And there's a thousand, you know, maybe a thousand photos per wedding. And then I also shoot 40 engagement sessions and that's a hundred photos per wedding. And then there's a bunch of other stuff. I'm I'm working on over 50,000 images every single year easily. It's, it might even be twice as that. So, you know, there's no way that you're going to love every single one of those images. And there's no way that every single one of those images is going to fill you with like satisfaction and that, like, you know, that high you get when you've made something amazing. Um, so what I have to do is is some personal work sometimes. Like I, um, in the wedding industry, we often do uh, editorial shoots where you know I get to come up with a concept and dream up, you know, what it's going to look like and what the colors are going to be, and I get to design the whole thing. It's almost like designing a wedding yourself. That's really cool. Yeah, and you get to collaborate with other artists. That's the most amazing thing about being a photographer in the wedding industry is getting to work with the florist and the calligrapher and the planner and all of these great minds come together and you can, you know, create something in one day out of nothing. And that's the kind of work that I have to just sort of sprinkle in 
here and there to really keep that motor running and keep the inspiration going and the excitement um, going. Not There are many real weddings that are extremely exciting to me still. I mean, there's nothing better than a couple that just really gets it and is so connected throughout the day and and it's emotional and beautiful and um you know those weddings really thrill me when I'm getting to work on them but you know not every wedding can be like that and so it's important that that you do your own work in the meantime um, which can be really difficult to fit in especially when we've got like um you know our season is like six months long and you just cram it in all at once into the summer you go 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 and then you kind of take the winter off when the weather's not so nice so the winter is that sort of um that that period where you can really refill your creative uh cup and work on some more things for you and travel and um you know get inspired by new locations and and things like that so it absolutely is a job and it and it can <laughs> you know when you've shot your 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 31st wedding for the year or your third wedding of the weekend and you just want to like curl up into a little ball and sleep for a month watch all the big brother watch all the big brother um you know just knowing that you might have that little project coming up that's just for you is really a, a nice spark to keep you going and what you were saying about working with other people for those shoots, it makes me think of the fact that where you started your career prior to photography as a performer, I think of something that a lot of people kind of pinpoint in performing and in theater in particular is this collaborative spirit, right? This idea that you're part of a group and it, it's something that's pretty apparent by looking at theater that you know that there's a cast or there's a group of people who all come together to make this thing. Um, and it it sounds like with photography, there may be more elements of independence or maybe even solitude compared with performing. But I think it's really cool that you found ways to bring an element of collaboration that was something that you might have had a lot of experience with before and that you still look for those moments in, in a different career, um, just in a different context. Totally. I think there are so many of us who grew up in the theater who could attest to this, that without the theater, you know, we wouldn't have these skills to go out into the world and do the other things that we're doing. Um, and I, I totally believe that that theater gave me those communication skills and teamwork skills and, and all of these things that have made my life richer now and have made this particular career, um, you know, just a little bit easier for me to fit myself into um, and yeah, it totally gives me that same kind of um, satisfaction that, you know, putting up a show would do as a director where you see the lights go on and you see the set looking the way it does. And, and it's, I mean, what an amazing thing that we as humans can do, um, put our, our minds and our individual talents together to make something that is, you know, collectively really incredible and just like you can do when you are shooting a wedding and you kind of bring this communal moment to life in how you shoot it which i think is really that's something pretty special yeah it's it's very cool it's a it's a huge privilege to have someone say to you as an individual you know this is my day but i want to remember my day how you see it in particular um and that's kind of what i what i hope when people me out to be their wedding photographer is that they look at my work and something about that 
speaks to them and, and um, you know, resonates with them so that they they really do want to see their day through my eyes. And that's so crazy to me. It's like one of the most important days of their life. And um, just the fact that they can appreciate how I, I might um, perceive that day to be is, is really, it's it's a huge honor. To kind of wrap things up, I, I kind of love ending on this note because I think hopefully it's something that is a takeaway you've always you've already mentioned some some great recommendations i heard the lighthouse i heard <laughs> you you mean big brother go for it definitely go ahead and binge that sure with uh with caution <laughs> yeah i would love to know just like if you have a few recommendations of things you've been consuming lately that have been inspiring you or just things like big brother things that you can watch just for enjoyment and just for fun oh sure so i uh, if you haven't already watched the series dark on netflix it is tremendous. It's mind-blowingly good. There's only three seasons, um, and it is a German uh, drama with some sci-fi elements. Um, I, I have to say, you know, just drop whatever you're doing and go watch it right <laughs> now. It is one of the best things I've ever seen. They just finished season three. Um, they just released it a couple months ago on Netflix. Um, highly recommend that. Um, if you need something that is really silly and just fun, if the pandemic is getting you down, um, Tim and I have been really enjoying a British show called Taskmaster. My younger brother loves that show. Have you been watching? He's, he's showed me clips. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so worth it to sit down and watch the whole thing because it's all on YouTube for free and it's hilarious and, and just like, it brings us so much joy. So if you just need some joy in your life, um, I highly recommend that as well. Yeah. And then Watchmen was the other thing that I just really enjoyed. It's come up a few times when I've talked to people. I just finished it myself. It was unbelievable. So I'm going to throw my weight behind only because I've actually seen this one, this one as well. (laughs) And I will have to check out the other ones as well. Flawless from start to finish. And if you watched, okay, last one, Daniel, I can go on and on. But last one, if you, if you liked Watchmen, um, and you need another drama that's going to just make you question life itself and the world entirely, uh, the leftovers, you have to go back and, and watch all of that as well. To me, it's leftovers and dark might be the, the two most perfect television series I've ever seen. And that say something because I've watched a lot of TV. <laughs> I was about to say, as somebody who is like, con- you've seen a lot. So there you go. That is a serious endorsement yeah. coming from Lindsay Hackney. Um Lindsay, thank you so much for taking all this time. I really appreciate it. Um, And you've given me a lot to think about. I think that all the things you were saying about kind of finding that balance of time, making work um, enjoyable however we can so that it it doesn't feel as much like work or that it's work that we look forward to doing as opposed to work that we dread doing, which I think is something that we all try to avoid, but sometimes is inevitable. But just thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Daniel. This was so much fun. As you guys probably heard during the interview, uh, Lindsay and her husband, Tim, are expecting their first child uh, in the fall, which is just uh, fantastic. And I just want to congratulate them both. I I know they're both going to be fantastic parents. Um, As always, you guys can send your feedback. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com or visit our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can visit or follow us at the social media stuff so that's at creative consumption podcast on instagram or facebook you can find us on twitter at underscore create consume if you're liking the show we would love it if you would recommend it to a friend 
and you can also, if this was your first episode and you want to keep hearing them, you can subscribe on iTunes or really any podcast player. Uh, if you want to support the show in other ways, just continuing to listen is great. If you want to leave us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate it. And you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash creative consumption. Please do check out the links in the show notes. Um, Lindsay's recommendations for the content she's been loving are in there, as well as those other links for Nice White Parents and other anti-racist and equity resources. Um, And please send your recommendations for what we can include in those links. We would love to keep growing that list so that it's something that can keep turning over and providing new ways for people to, to learn more. A final thank you and shout out to my brother, Nathan, as always, for being a phenomenal social media manager and brother. I found out he had a nightly habit while we were growing up that I never knew about. I was a night owl. I would just stay up past everybody and put on movie. Everyone would go to bed and I'd go downstairs and I'd put on whatever movie I wanted to watch. Thank you guys for listening. Have a happy Labor Day. Stay safe and be well.